In recent years, major mining companies operating in Brazil have made international headlines due to the sheer amount of damage they've caused to the environment and to thousands of people. But the wheels of Brazilian justice turn slowly. States' economic dependence on mining operations and the proximity of these companies with regulators often allow them to escape such crises almost completely unscathed. Meanwhile, their victims are forced to live with the consequences of the company's poor risk management for decades, sometimes their whole lives. To illustrate this, let's take the two worst environmental tragedies in Brazilian history. The collapse of a tailings dam in Mariana in 2015. A mining dam burst, sending toxic water pouring down over homes. 19 people were killed and the river polluted. And then in Brumadinho in 2019. The failed structures are known as tailings dams, filled with residue from iron ore mining. Residents of Mariana are still awaiting proper reparations. In Brumadinho, almost 450 families are still homeless two years later. And now they are seeking justice, not in Brazil, but in European courts, seeking harsher and quicker penalties against mining companies. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. In early February 2018, a river of mud invaded 13 communities in the town of Barcarena, in the northern state of Pará. While the region was being battered by heavy rains at the time, the sludge flooding the city was not just dirty rainwater. State auditors found that the water was contaminated with tailings from mining firm Hydro Alunorte, which owns the world's biggest bauxite refinery in Barcarena. Two years on, those affected by the catastrophe in Barcarena are still awaiting compensation, and 11,000 families have filed a lawsuit against Alunorte's parent company, Norsk Hydro, one-third of which belongs to the Norwegian government. The story of the case starts in the 80s. Uh, the industrial development in the north of Brazil was strongly encouraged by the Brazilian government at the end of the 1980s. This is Pedro Martins, senior partner at English law firm PGMBM. He's representing victims of Norsk Hydro in a lawsuit filed in the Netherlands. Uh, one of the incentives was the so-called project Grande Carajás uh, in the states of Paragoyas and, and Maranhão. Manganês, 45 milhões de toneladas. Bauxita, 40 milhões de toneladas. Cobre, 1 bilhão de toneladas. Níquel, 45 milhões de toneladas. Ouro, 100 toneladas, configurando uma província mineral das mais ricas do mundo. Uh, by means of uh, fiscal incentives and financial support, a number of projects were implemented in the area, mainly related uh, to mining, industrialization and energy resources. The state of Pará is known for a very rich soil, full of minerals uh, that can be extracted. One of those is bauxite, which is the raw material that after the industrialization process becomes aluminium. 
the story with Norsk is that uh, they own a complex uh, of tree plants in the uh, region of Bacarena, in which they do the entire process of extraction, industrialization, until the bauxite becomes aluminium. However, long before the creation of this industrial complex and the build of these industrial plants, both indigenous communities and Quilombola communities were already placed there. Quilombola communities, for those who don't know, are made up of descendants of runaway slaves who were granted the collective ownership of their ancestral land by the 1988 constitution. They are extremely vulnerable populations and their land is very much sought after, as they are often located on or next to mineral deposits or in areas that could become valuable for real estate development. Pará is the third state with the highest number of indigenous communities and the fourth state in Brazil, the highest number of Quilombola communities. Both of them had been living in the region in which Norsk developed its activities. The process of extracting bauxite and turning it into aluminium involves a series of chemicals, chemicals that cause severe harms to human health and also to the environment. So since early 2000s, this is when Norsk acquired the plants that uh, were owned by another company, a Brazilian company before that, a series of uh, environmental violations have been committed, all of them related to an improper dumping of the waste that it's created as a result of the chemical process of producing aluminium. These neighboring communities have suffered a large number of uh, serious health issues in the region in the last 20 years as a direct consequences of this improper behavior by, by the company. Uh, this involves dumping toxic waste in the rivers. All of these communities use water from the rivers in order to survive, both to drink and also to grow their crops. The fact that these communities use this water causes a lot of severe health issues, loss of sight, skin diseases, hair loss, constant pain. On top of that, all of the crops are contaminated. All of the foods that they are able to grow, it's contaminated because of the water. And also the fish that they used to get from uh, the river. And as I understand it, the river is key to the survival of these populations, right? You are absolutely correct. They live out of the land and out of the river. If they cannot trust the water, they're going to eventually die, if not from medical conditions, from the fact that uh, they're not able to grow anything anymore, nor can they fish. So it directly affects their means of livelihood. You say that environmental transgressions have been commonplace in Barcarena for decades. There was a turning point in February 2018, which brought this community's story to your attention. What was it? What happened in 2018 is that after heavy rains, the reservoirs that keep the waste contained or that should keep the waste contained from reaching the river and the communities flooded. A large amount of what we call red sludge leaked from Alunorte, Stalin's Basin, polluting several springs and rivers, increasing the risk to the residents. But not only that, once 
the flooding was contained. Several illegal pipelines were discovered by the authorities. This has all been investigated. Public authorities have issued reports. This is not something that PGMBM is alleging. There is an extensive amount of material that covered this. Illegal pipelines were discovered. Pipelines that were dumping waste directly into the river. Uh, this incident received a lot of public attention in a way that it was the executives of Hydro's had no choice but to admit that Alunorte had been guilty of those disposals and publicly apologized for it. However, after that public apology, Alunorte and its shareholders, who had clearly been advised by, by legal counsels, never recognized that the conduct had had any negative impact on the environment. Right. So essentially a non-apology apology. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly that. The pipelines are there, but they never cause any harm. And how does a case like this makes its way to you? I would assume that your law firm was the one who sought out the communities rather than the other way around, especially since this isn't your first rodeo, right? I mean, last year, your firm tried to have BHP stand trial in the UK for its responsibility in the Mariana tragedy. The courts dismissed the case, but it has served as a sort of blueprint for similar lawsuits, right? After we brought the Mariana case against BHP in English courts, because of the size of the case, it's the largest case that has ever been filed in terms of numbers of claimants in a UK court. Uh, 200,000 uh, uh, natural persons, yes. And then we have uh, 25 Brazilian municipalities, uh, which is quite remarkable as well for you to have uh, an entity of, the, of, the, of a country to sue abroad. Uh, public utility companies, uh, churches, uh, businesses. There are several categories of, of claimants in, in that case. Once we realized that, unfortunately, there was space to provide this sort of legal advice in Brazil. And I say unfortunately because all of our cases have as premise an environmental violation or a human rights violation. Uh, we started to investigate other potential cases. As I mentioned, the Norsk Hydro situation in Barcarena had had a lot of coverage, not only by the media, but also by public authorities in terms of investigations, reports, uh, research institutes, all sorts of, of inputs. Uh, we read about it, thought it was extremely serious. We also realized that nothing in Brazil had happened. And back then, we also had an intern working for us in the Mariana case, and she was from Pará, a brilliant, brilliant intern. Uh, we talked to her about that. Uh, she had some contacts in, in Pará. So Tom Goodhead, my British partner, Tomás, my other Brazilian partner, myself, we flew to Pará. Uh, to have a meeting with a very prominent lawyer from Pará. Uh, his name is uh, Ismael Moraes. He, he's been acting in environmental cases and trying to protect the Amazon region for the past 25 years. He is the lawyer for the association, which nowadays is our claimant in the Dutch case. The name of the association is Kainkiyama. We met with the board of directors of Kainkiyama. We explained how we worked, and they thought it was worth uh, trying some sort of compensation abroad. So this is more or less the, the story, how, how we got to, to where we are. After the break, 
why it makes sense to attack major companies on their own turf. We'll be right back. As you know, The Brazilian Report is an independent news outlet that lives off subscriptions, so you can support our independence by choosing one of our plans for the best content about Brazil in English. And if you have already subscribed, then you can also buy us a coffee with a small donation starting at $4 and going up to whatever your budget and your heart allows, you can help us refill our coffee mugs to continue covering Brazil. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. Buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. So we're back with Pedro Martins, senior partner at English law firm PGMBM. Pedro, you've explained Norsk Hydro's misdeeds, but for those who haven't heard of it, what is Norsk Hydro? Norsk is a Norwegian company. It has money from the Norwegian government in it, 34%. It uh, undertakes all sorts of mining activities around the world, most of them related to aluminium and energy. They have operations not only in Brazil, but in other parts of the world. In Brazil, their operations are focused uh, in the north, in Pará, uh, with the extraction of bauxite, transforming it into aluminium, and then exporting that aluminium to the, to the final clients. Up the chain, uh, you find five companies in the Netherlands, which are placed between the ultimate Norwegian controlling shareholders. Norwegian parent company, as we say. And this brings us to why we have filed the lawsuit in Dutch courts. Right. But for a layman like me, it would seem much more natural that a crime be taken to trial in the place it was committed or not. This is very interesting. I think this, this touches in the main way how our firm operates in terms of our international cases. And this this may get just a little bit technical, but I'm going to explain in the most uh, lay, lay way possible. Um, we base our cases in two statutes, two legal statutes. They are international treaties, which apply to all of the countries that are inside the European Union. The first statute determines that If I want to sue a company that is domiciled within the European Union, I should do that in the country in which the company is domiciled. So as an example, I want to sue a Dutch company. I should do that in the Netherlands. The second statute that is of interest is one that determines the applicable law to this lawsuit. We know that we have to sue in the Netherlands, but what law will we apply if The reason why we are suing in the Netherlands involves other countries. The second statute is called Rome II, and it determines the applicable law. Rome II says that the law applicable to a non-contractual obligation, what does that mean? That people that have been affected by Norsk Hydro, they don't have a contract with them. However, Norsk Hydro has acted in a way that caused damage. Therefore, they have an obligation, but it's a non-contractual obligation 
to compensate for that damage. So for that situation, the law should be the law of the country in which the damage occurred. Therefore, what we have in practice is that Brazilian law applies to the case that is being litigated in the Netherlands. And now the answer to your question, why can I sue a Dutch company then? Because Brazilian law, when it comes to the environment, the substantive law, it's very powerful. So there are a lot of protections in place and a lot of concepts that have been created within Brazilian environmental law that expand liability to basically everyone that has benefited somehow or that has funded somehow the polluting activity. So the Dutch company being the company that ultimately will get the profits of this operation or that has funded this operation or they should have supervised this operation in Brazil, this company is liable under Brazilian law. What's interesting in the cases your law firm is conducting is that the companies involved have operations and in these cases are headquarters in countries with tough environmental rules and yet they allow themselves to play by different standards elsewhere. In a moment where international pressure is piling on Brazil for its lack of environmental controls, doesn't that sound a little hypocritical? I mean, I'm not by any means defending President Bolsonaro and his laissez-faire stance on the environment, but it kind of makes you think. Oh, absolutely, Gustavo. Absolutely. Uh, one of the most impressive things, uh, uh, scary things, I would say, is that companies have different standards of operation for different countries or operation in, in the Northern Hemisphere usually have higher, higher standards than the ones in the Southern Hemisphere. Of course, that we need to di differentiate uh, between governments making criticisms uh, about how other governments deal with environmental protection and how companies operate. Uh, but in this case, for example, the Norwegian government is a shareholder of a company that's been uh, acting uh, against the law in a country that has been criticized not long ago for how uh, Brazil was protecting the, the Amazon. Of course, I would expect that the Norwegian government, once the company has been found liable, will take the appropriate measures. But I am completely with you when you say that there is a lot of controversy between uh, developed countries criticizing developing countries when you have companies whose headquarters are in those developed countries that go to developing countries and act in an illegal way. Because, going back to your question, they know that in those countries it will take much longer for them to be held accountable. And what are the effects of your European lawsuits over here in Brazil? Are they making the wheels of justice turn faster back home? I think uh, that especially for the Mariana case, it's inevitable uh, uh, to, to, to realize that things started to move much faster after we filed the case abroad. This is what I consider a positive externality of the work that we do. Uh, I think indeed having a foreign court decide over something that happened in Brazil does create pressure in the Brazilian judiciary. Um, 
And this is something that it's positive because ultimately this pressure, I hope, will reach the Congress. It might lead to changes in uh, Brazilian procedural law to make it more uh, amenable to collective disputes, try to speed things up. If business activity can be global, why can't justice be global as well? Why should justice be limited if the activities are unlimited? Pedro Martins, thank you very much for your time. We hope these cases will bear meaningful changes to business regulations in Brazil and in the world. If you like explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.